focus of, of this series. Um, we're looking at infallible proofs, um, rooting our own uh, confidence in what Christ accomplished uh, in, the, in the truth of it, in the facts of it. Um, you know, Christianity has been accused of being a non-reasonable uh, faith. Um, imagine that, right? And uh, well, I, I think that's partly because we we haven't always reasoned, you know. But <clears throat> we're going to continue in in the book of Luke this morning. In the book of Luke in the twenty fourth chapter. Book of Luke, 24th chapter. I know it was one thing I forgot when I stood earlier is to thank everyone that was able to come out to the meeting uh, last week, uh, to the church meeting. Just thank you for attending. Uh, the people that are holding the list for the ministry opportunities have told me that the list remain a little slim. So the lists are still available. Ask someone. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36, it reads, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. He ate before them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, um, your word is good. Let the truth of it, Lord, be uh, rooted in our hearts and growing in our spirits and overcome our flesh forever. Help us to see and hear. Help us, Lord, to be driven by uh, the proof that you unveiled to us. Guide our hearts and minds, Lord, in your will. I pray that for fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word and ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> in, the, in the legal system, they have a fictional character and they, they use a, a fictional character that they call a reasonable person. A reasonable person. It's this fictional character. This character is almost like well, you know what they say. Reasonable person is related to they. You, know, you never know who they are. 
but they know everything and they say it, right? But this reasonable person, this is a character, this character is used to provide a standard for how most people who are reasonable should react in any given situation. This fictional standard is then used to decide if a case or a point trying to be made has been proven to be true or if a reasonable person would have doubt that a thing is true. Is there cause for reasonable doubt? Uh, The problem is that many people's ideas of what is reasonable can be different. You know, people think a lot of things are reasonable. Um, It may seem unreasonable to some to buy bottled water, unless you live in Flint, Michigan. So, so the ideas of what can be reasonable is different. The hope, though, in the, in the legal system is that there can be so much proof provided of a situation that there's no room for doubt by anyone. That's the hope. Jesus' disciples find themselves, after his resurrection, trying to be reasonable. Jesus knew it would, it would take more than word of mouth to remove the doubt from his disciples Uh, about his resurrection. So he offers them proof. He offers them proof that should be beyond a reasonable doubt. It should be beyond a reasonable doubt. That's uh, the title of this sermon, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. And, And if the sermon were bunched into a little short statement, it would be the resurrected Jesus is real. The resurrected Jesus is real. The scripture here in Luke, it picks up with a a gathering of disciples. The house where they are is buzzing because there's been several reports of of Jesus being alive and being seen on that same Sunday morning, that first day of the week. The women have reported it. Peter claims to have seen him. Then the two disciples that we talked about last week, uh, who he walked with on the road to Emmaus, uh, who opened, who, who he talked with and opened the scriptures for, and who he broke bread with, who he walked with, a- a- after seeing Jesus and recognizing him, they walked seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell what they saw. But soon they found out that they weren't the only ones who Jesus had shown himself to. And while each one is there in the house trying to give their testimony about what's been happening with Jesus uh, on this Sunday, uh, Jesus shows up again. We see in the text that Jesus offers a couple of things to his excited, terrified, unsure disciples. One, he offers them peace. In verses 36 through 38. And then he offers them proof in verses 39 through 43. Look what it says. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Jesus offers peace. He offers peace. If we read in John's account of this situation in chapter 20, it it would inform us that the doors of the room where these disciples were gathered were locked when Jesus came. But still, he stepped right into their presence, into their situation, interrupting their conversation, just like he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, uh, that we saw last week. Again, the conversation that was being held is about Jesus. And here again, he shows up in the midst of that conversation. And I started thinking about it. I'm not sure if Jesus was attracted to the discussion about his resurrection or if he just realized that the folks talking about it needed to experience him. Uh, but, but, but those are the kinds of conversations that I want to start having. I want to. I want to have conversations. Uh, I, I want to be in those conversations and with those people talking about things with people in such a way that Jesus feels led to come in, to come join in and take part of our conversation. Have you had conversations like that? There, there he was, standing in front of at least twelve people. We know were there. And then he speaks a familiar greeting to them. It's right here in Luke 24, verse 36. He says, peace to you. Peace to you. Now, that was a a familiar greeting in that time, uh, uh, and it represented uh, the word in Hebrew. It represented shalom, shalom. And that was the way the Jews would greet each other in that day. Uh, we, we, we might, you know, it's the same way we might see each other and we might say, what's up? Or, or, or you know, more refined people say, how are you today? But we actually don't want to know how the person is doing. We don't want them to really start explaining how they're doing. It's a greeting, right? How are you, you know? Um, but, but here... Here, this, this greeting meant a lot more than that. Um, this greeting, when someone said peace to you or, or shalom, uh, it was pronouncing a blessing. It was asking or wishing for God's prosperity to be in all of your life. In every part of your life, let there be flourishing. Let there be flourishing that uh, reflects uh, uh, God's peace. It's a condition uh, that, that, that would be obvious even when things around you are not peaceful. Uh, when you have shalom, uh, uh, you, you have a state, you maintain this peace. It's a peace. It's a result of being at peace with God. Shalom. It, it was much more than a greeting. When Jesus says it here in this house, it's even amplified uh, to another level uh, because he had spoken and met with the disciples before he was crucified and and he had told them that he was going to be leaving and and he said I'm leaving but I'm going to leave my peace with you Uh, he, he had to go they were sad and they didn't understand what he was saying but 
what he did say is what I'm going to leave with you is, is I'm going to leave my peace. <clears throat> uh, do you know that when you belong to Jesus, Jesus' peace belongs to you? That's good. I, I, my wife's probably writing that down right now. I'm, I'm going to pause right there. No, when you belong to Jesus, Jesus' peace belongs to you. It's that peace that comes from God. He spoke this blessing to them in John 14 and verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. But that's just how Jesus finds them here when he steps into this room. They were startled. They were frightened. They were troubled, the scripture says. These three words Jesus used to uh, describe, it described a feeling of terror. Uh, it, It was like everything inside the disciples was shaken and disturbed. Uh, if, if peace was like a, a, a smooth, still lake, the disciples' hearts were like the lake after many people had jumped in and kicked up all of that stuff that's on the bottom of it. Y'all, y'all don't hang out at lakes too much. Try this, try this. You ever have a snow cone, a snow globe? And it's sitting there and it's a little scene inside and you're looking at it and it, it's a beautiful thing. And then you shake it, and then that was the disciples inside. Terror, frightened, troubled, uh, stirred up. And I, I say it was reasonable for them to be like that. It, 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 was, it was reasonable for them to feel that way um, for a couple reasons. First reason is that Jesus had showed up suddenly. Uh, in, in the middle of their conversation, they're, they're talking, and then they hear a voice, and they look over, and it's Jesus. Ha- have, you, have you ever thought you were alone and heard something or thought you saw something? I mean, not to, I'm, you know, we're tough, so I, but you, you, even the toughest one, you thought you, it, it, it you know, it, it throws you off a little bit. I, I mean, they, they weren't expecting him. You, you know, sometimes, y'all, didn't, y'all don't know this about me. Don't tell anybody. But I, I'm a little, I can be a little bit of a prankster. And sometimes I, you know, I, I like to sneak up on my, my wife and scare the socks off of her. Uh, and and, the, and the, thing, the thing about it is that, I mean, she knows that it's me, Right? <laughs> But, but it's, it's just the unexpected way that I show up that just, it shakes her. And then I, I find out, you know, how much faith she really has by what comes out of her mouth when I do it. It's like, she's like, this is really a woman of God. Bless God for her. <clears throat> she's put up with it for over 20 years. So thank God. But, but so, so it was reasonable for them to be you know, uh, uh, shooken by, you know, a little shooken up by that. It, the second thing is the place where they were was locked. It was, they, they, were, they were behind locked doors. According to uh, John in chapter 20 and 19, the uh, gospel according to John, the disciples were locked up in a room and they were there because of the fear of the Jews. 
they were terrified. They were, they, they were reasoning that if they just killed Jesus, what were they going to do to them? Uh, are, are, they, are they next on the, on the hit list? Uh, so they were, they were locked up tight in the room, sealed and secure. And if the door was locked, nobody should be getting in that they didn't let in. Yet here was Jesus inside. The Bible doesn't tell us how uh, he got in, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, thoughts about it. Uh, but, but the fact that he did get in points to something being different about Jesus after his resurrection, that he was able to get into a place that has locked doors. And shouldn't surprise us too. Some of us had locked hearts, but he was able to get in, right? I, I think I'm thankful that he's able to bypass that. But that, that would be a reason to be startled. If you're in the house now and you know everything is locked and then someone's in and they don't have a key, huh? Third, the third reason I believe they, they felt how uh, they were feeling is because they recognized that it was Jesus. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, while they were walking, they, they weren't recognizing Jesus. And notice, uh, when he came up, they weren't frightened. They just started talking to Jesus like he was some guy on the side of the road. But, but here, they were startled. They were frightened. They were troubled. And I believe that, that it's because they recognized that it was him. They, they, they saw him standing and they heard him speaking. And so they thought that he was a spirit. Uh, they thought they were seeing a ghost. Uh, so so, so it, made, it made sense that <clears throat> it was reasonable for them to be troubled by this. Uh, you, you think somebody's gone and now they, they're there. Um, people of this day, they carried a lot of superstition with them, you know, and they had a thing about ghosts. And people today still, you know, a lot of people today are still like that, uh, carrying a lot of superstition. Even, even religious people, <clears throat> even, even Christians have certain superstitions. That we shouldn't, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I used to work with a lady that, that, that would always knock on wood. She was Christian, and it just drove me crazy. Like, what is that wood going to do? Stop knocking on that. I had to protect my witness, so I didn't. Um, but but I, I, read about, I read about an old funeral custom that, that used to prevail, and it was uh, popular in Scotland until recent times. It, <clears throat> it was to, to carry out the casket of the deceased, not through the front door, but through an opening made in the side of the house. And, and when they put the casket through the opening that was made in the side of the house, they closed it up real quickly. They closed it up. And, and so then they thought that, uh, that the ghost would be prevented from re-entering the house because that was the only door that it knew. Superstitious, right? <clears throat> the reaction of these disciples showed that Doubts were going on inside of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even as, as many of them had been testifying that they saw him, <clears throat> they still felt that this must be a ghost. They still had doubts going on. Uh, they, their hearts wanted to believe, their hearts wanted to believe that it was Jesus, but their minds kept telling them, that it couldn't really be him. 
Is there, is there doubt reasonable? Is it reasonable? Jesus asked them why. He said, why? Jesus, Jesus, sometimes he asks questions. And if he was anyone but Jesus, you would, you know, it would probably drive you up a wall. You'd be like, but Jesus asked them why? Why? Him asking them why, though, is not a lack of, of understanding uh, why they would be uh, frightened or afraid. But it's, it's more of a statement reassuring them that there's no need for them to be fearful and doubting. Letting them know that they, they don't have to be afraid. Why are you scared? It's, it's me. Uh, what, 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 the, what things do we go through or deal with that, that God has told us we don't need to be concerned about, or, uh, but we, we are constantly dealing with it and, and going through it. Is it worry about the future, fear and anxiety about what may be coming down the road? And we, we feel that it's, it's reasonable uh, to be anxious about this thing, continue to go back and forth inside about it and try to figure it out even though God says and he demonstrates otherwise, even though he, he, he's clear, you know, in Isaiah 41.10, he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. In Philippians 4 and 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Just pray about everything. And so many other scriptures we could, we could go through, uh, his question is still good for us today. Why are we troubled and have doubts arise in our hearts? What is it that we face that troubles us and causes doubts to arise in our hearts? In Jesus asking the question why, we get the answer because he already knows the answer. They were troubled because of doubt. Doubt and fear are the opposite of faith. Even today, when you are unsure of who he is, doubting who he is and what he's done, your life is going to be troubled. Uh, you're going to have troubled moments. You're going to have troubled relationships. You're going to have troubled uh, uh, situations whenever you're doubting. But one, one good thing about him being alive, and I was thankful when I was reading the text, is that he still offers us peace. He still offers us. I'll say it again because somebody missed it the first time. When you belong to Jesus, Jesus' peace belongs to you. Ah, that's good. That, we got one amen there. That, that, that's, the, that's good. Try telling your situation that. Your job. Don't tell your, your boss, <laughs> I belong to Jesus. I, I like how Jesus deals, though, with the disciples at a basic human level. He meets them in their fears. He doesn't shame them. He meets them in their fears, and he helps them deal with their doubts. But, but he, he never hesitated to call them higher and to expect more from them. Uh, uh, he's good. And, but not only does Jesus offer peace, Jesus offers his disciples proof. 
He's all, he, look, look at verse 39. He says, see my hands. And my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. <clears throat> Jesus offers proof. Uh, he, gives, he gives an invitation for examination to these disciples. As they stand there looking shocked, Jesus tells them, to check me out. Check me out. Not, not, not just look, but check me out. It's, it's like a person with a, with a new outfit on. It, it's, not, it's not that, uh, but he's not showing off. Uh, uh, he's, he's giving proof. He tells them to be scientific. Use your eyes. See my hands and feet. <clears throat> they are the same hands and feet that served you and walked with you. They are the same hands and feet that were pierced with nails three days earlier. Three short days ago. He goes on and and he tells them to touch him and see. Uh, Touch him and see. There's there's an old thing we used to say when I I was growing up. And and you had something, it, it was new or exciting and and somebody asks ask you to see it. They, they say, can, can, I, can, can I see? And then they'll reach for it. And then we say, you see with your eyes and not with your hands. Somebody ever, you see with your eyes and, and not with your hands. Because we didn't want them to touch whatever it was. We just wanted to show it. But, but there's something about the, the way people are made when when we're really trying to check something out and we really need to figure this thing out, we try to use as many of our senses as possible. I think it's the way we're wired. If you don't believe me, if you've ever been lost in your car and you're driving, watch and see don't you turn your radio down. You turn your radio down. You're looking for the direction, but you turn your radio down. You want as many of your senses available as possible. Jesus tells them to use their senses. They've, they've, they've now, they've heard him speaking. They see his wounds. And, and now Jesus offers his, his own flesh and bones to be handled. Jesus says, touch me. I've got a real body, real substance. Your hands won't pass through me. I'm no phantom. Touch me. Their their mission wouldn't be to go out and tell the world about a spiritual resurrection. They were going to tell the world about the bodily flesh and bones resurrection of Jesus. He offers them proof. So when, when folks popped up years after the resurrection with their theories, trying to say that Jesus was only a spirit or a phantom and that he didn't have a real body. His, his disciple John, who was in this room, was able to tell them what he knew for a fact. In 1 John 1, verses 1 to 3, he testifies. He says, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you, you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says not only did Jesus really come and was born of a virgin, after his death he really resurrected, proving that eternal life existed. John says, I touched him for myself. Jesus gives peace, but he also gives proof. And today, uh, we, we, we're here now, we, we examine Jesus through his word. Uh, we, we have the testimony, though, of eyewitnesses like John, who actually touched him after he got up. We also get glimpses of him through the lives of other people that he touched, and, and through his, his, his working on and in our own lives. There's some glimpses of Christ in, in each one that he's resurrected. You know, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we've all been raised if we're in Christ. He gives us proof. I, I know somebody might be thinking, though, and, and I thought this for a long time, I, I confess, that it, it would be easier if we could just touch him today. But, but, but look how hard it was for the disciples to get beyond their reasonable doubt. Jesus had to give them even more proof. Look at verse 41. It says, <clears throat> And while they were still, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. It says they disbelieved for joy. Their minds were, were struggling to catch up with what their hearts were feeling. Have you ever had something happen or, or, or you hear some, some good news and, and had to say this? You had to say, this is too good to be true. And we are cynical people who say if it's too good to be true, then it can't be true. Or, 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 or you hear something, you say, I just can't believe it. But a good thing, Jesus uh, knows how much all of this must have been for them to take in. So he goes on offering them proof. Uh, he offered himself. He offered his, his flesh and bones for examination. Now he turns to a piece of fish. Of all the things, he uses fish to offer even more proof of his resurrection. Jesus will use whatever he needs to get folks to the place where they need to be. Uh, Jesus, uh, he's my kind of man, too. I like a good piece of fish. Uh, 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 but but it, it's really not about the fish. I, I don't get sidetracked. It, it's really not about the fish. His point is for them to see him eat. Even today, uh, one of the signs 
uh, that we use to tell if a person is, is well or, or not well or how well a person is doing is them eating. Uh, when we get a report that a sick person has stopped eating, at least in our minds, we might not say it out loud, but we start to believe that they won't be around much longer when they stop eating. Uh, uh, we, we have to, we eat to live. Our bodies were made to use food. So as long as we're living, we're going to eat. But Jesus demonstrates that eating is for the living. So Jesus eats in front of them. He, he hadn't had anything in three days. But that was just a short fast for Jesus. You know, he fasted 40 days. So it wasn't that he was hungry, right? There, there's to be no more confusion. What Jesus is showing them now is something only that the living do. Ghosts don't eat. He, he's there standing and eating just like he's eating with, eaten with them so many times before. Him, him eating this fish was proof of his resurrection from the dead. Just think, if you've followed the scope of the Bible, think about this. Adam and Eve, they ate what they weren't supposed to, and it brought death to everyone. But here, here is Jesus eating to show and prove that he has overcome death and that he's now alive. I, I like that. I've, I've had dreams about loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord that, that seem so real. I, 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 could, I could see their faces. I could hear their voices speaking to me. But never have I touched them, felt their flesh and bones, or given them food to eat. When I woke, they were gone. But I thank God for the proof and, and, and for the peace that he offers with the resurrection of Jesus Christ that one day like the disciples touched him, I will be able to touch my loved ones that are gone on to be with him. Uh, uh, and, and more than that, one day, just like they touched him, I will be able to touch Jesus. I'll be able to look at him and say, thank you. Thank you for what you did. In the church where I grew up, they would sing an old song for devotion. I'm not going to sing it. But it was, it was a simple and it was a powerful song. And it, you know, repeated. It said, you can't make me doubt him. You can't make me doubt him. You can't make me doubt him in my heart. Repeat, you can't make me doubt him. You can't make me doubt him. You can't make me doubt him in my heart. It had other verses that said uh, that I, I got the love of Jesus. I got the love of Jesus. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. I got the love of Jesus. Somebody knows it. I got the love of Jesus. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. But I like this, this last one. It says, in, re in reference to doubting him, it says, I know too much about him. I know too much about him. I know too much about him in my heart. I know too much about him. I know too much about him. I know too much about him in my heart. This, the song expresses the confidence, joy, and peace that belong to those who believe. And we need to be as confident as that song. 
if we're going to share with this cynical, doubting world that Jesus Christ is the living one, eternal, resurrected. The world is filled with doubts about the Lord, but I I have to ask myself, are those doubts reasonable? You ever wonder how someone can believe in anything but Jesus? But that's the world that we, we, we're, we're entering into, the world we're going to exit into when we leave the sanctuary today. And we need to be prepared to, to share that Jesus is as real now as he was then, that he is still resurrected, that everything he said and done is still uh, validated and proven by his resurrection, and he is still full of resurrection power to secure eternity for those who believe in him today. That's what we leave with today. But before we leave with that, you have to be able to answer the question, has Jesus moved you beyond any reasonable doubt that he is who he says he is and that he's resurrected? That's a question for you. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for every angle that you allow us to see it from. Make it real. Make it four-dimensional for us. Lord, uh, let it be a part of us, our thinking, our living, our our sharing, our speaking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you accomplished. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this people. Let your blessings be on us. Let your word be in us for your will and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.